This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. We began the sermon series <clears throat> several Sundays ago. This morning we're speaking on the fifth and final sermon in that series. Storms don't last forever. I want you to notice with me now, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, Psalms chapter 16. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. Let me put a pause button right here and remind you that Ecclesiastes teaches us for everything, to everything there is a season. Sometimes in our life we'll have Wonderful periods of sunshine. Thank God for those seasons. And then there are times when trouble comes our way. Those are the night seasons. Always remember this, that in the night you can still learn. I've always said this, that valleys are for learning. The Word of God now says this in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence in fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. When David penned this particular psalm, he was just coming out one of the darkest periods of time in his life. And a careful examination of these scriptures clearly reveals to us the weight that was lifted from his soul. I want to give you just a little background about Psalm 16, and perhaps for some of you will refresh your memory. Saul, King Saul, and about 3,000 of his finest soldiers were in hot pursuit of David. Now when I think about this part of the Old Testament and that part of the kingdom in Israel, how Saul now is pursuing day and night David. I find it hard to imagine the hatred 
that had built up in Saul's heart to the magnitude that he wanted to kill him. Now we all know the story. Probably one of the most memorable stories about David and Saul was the fact that David was one day keeping the flock of his family and taking food and increments to his elder brothers and his father, Jesse. They were boxed in by the Philistines. And the Philistines had them in such a a dire strait that they were mocking them on a daily basis, trying to find somebody to come out and challenge them. In fact, the Philistines had put them in a do-or-die situation. And as David would take bread and water to his family, he'd listen to the Philistines mock the children of God. Finally, one day, David got so weary of it and so sick of it. I mean, here he is toting the bread and water. He's listening to these Philistines mock them. He's listening to this man called Goliath, challenging any person in Saul's army to come out and do battle with him. And David's toting the water, carrying the food, and he's listening to this repetitiously. Finally, he gets to the place and he looks at his brothers. He looks at these soldiers in Saul's army and he says, hey guys, are you kidding me? How long are you going to allow this to happen? Is there not a cause? And all of these guys now in great armor with great weapons and swords and spears and shields, all of them are hiding behind rocks, shaking in their sandals. David boldly steps up and says, I'll go. They all thought he was crazy at first. You need to get back to the sheep. You need to get back. Your place is with the sheep. Your place is to bring us water and food. You do not belong here on the battle. David said, I'm going. The battle's not mine. It's the Lord's. And so they get him down and they say, are you serious? You want to go out there and do battle with this giant? These people have us at bay. We have nowhere to turn and and we... Want to send you out to do the battle for us? David said, I'm ready to go. Saul gathers all of his best armor and says, well, let's prepare him for the fight. And with the best of the king's armor, they're now putting this attire for battle upon him. And David, I don't know. I can see in my mind now, this, this little shepherd boy, I can see now as they get him all dressed out, and then they put the helmet on it, how it probably tips and is resting on the top of his nose. He can't even see out of it. He's stepping back and these things are clinging and clanging and making noise. And he says, this is ridiculous. And he says, take this stuff off of me. And Saul said, you cannot go out to battle this man without this protection. David reminds him, hey, this battle is God's. So David takes all the stuff off and he reaches down into his pocket and he pulls out a slingshot. 
And can you imagine the look and the expression, the gasp and the chuckle that perhaps these strong men were now taking notice of? David takes that slingshot out. He gets it good and limber and he goes down to the valley of Elah. He stoops down by the brook. And the Bible says he gathered five smooth stones. Now David did not get five stones because he thought he might miss four times. If you don't know this, Goliath had four brothers. When David reached down into the brook and picked up five smooth stones, it not only had Goliath's name on one of them, but David said, hey, if them other boys want to get in on it, I got something for them too. <laughs> David read back with those five smooth stones, put one in his sling. You know the story. As a result of him killing Goliath, cutting off his head, Israel now was champion over the Philistines. The Philistines momentarily retreated. David now is going into the streets of Jerusalem. The people are in such a wonderful cheer. There is joy through the streets of the holy city. Saul now is happy that the battle is over, that Goliath is dead, that Israel is now moving on. But when David gets into Jerusalem, the people stand and cheer him and they begin to clap and sing his praises. And the voice of the people going through the streets of Jerusalem was, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And instantly, the poison of jealousy entered into Saul's heart. I'm telling you, friend, jealousy is a deadly poison. And so the Bible says that Saul got so jealous over David's victory and for the people praising him over his accomplishments that this bitterness, this jealousy had enraged Saul to such a point the Bible says that Saul tried to kill him with a javelin. These things escalated far beyond. I, I'm telling you this. When I think about what David did for Israel, what he did for Saul, this is what I conclude. I conclude this in my life too, and maybe you can conclude it in your life. When you think about what David did for God, what he did for Israel, what he did for Saul, Listen, the very person he did the most for was hurting him the worst. That's what I find out. The people you do the most for hurt you the worst. I, I find it hard to believe that this little boy went out there and did something that these other men would not do and were scared to do. God gave him the victory. Now Israel had a space of grace. They had a period of time where they were breathing easily now. Goliath was dead. The threat was over. But as a result of that, 
Saul became so enraged with jealousy that he wanted to kill David. And he didn't stop with the javelin. It got so bad that David, like a fugitive, had to leave Jerusalem. And the Bible says that King Saul was in hot pursuit of him. And then here we find how that one night after they had been in such hot pursuit of David and the, and the men that were with him, Saul and his army decided to stop and camp out for a night in the wilderness. They had no idea when they stopped in that day of pursuing David that David was really a stone's throw away. They had no idea. Saul had pushed his men to the point of exhaustion. They were delirious. They, they were extremely tired. So Saul had given the order, post some centuries, we're going to take a rest. We're going to sleep. And if you're familiar with the story, here's what you have to understand. Saul had no idea where David was, but David knew exactly where he was. Saul and his men decided to take their armor off and to get a night's sleep. Even the sentries were exhausted. In fact, they in themselves fell asleep. The entire army, Saul and all of his army, none of them could keep their eyes open. They all fell asleep. So when they did this, David, is, and by the way, this is in a place called En Gedi now. I've been to En Gedi. I've taken several of you with me to the Holy Land. You have been to En Gedi. You've seen the beautiful waterfalls that are there. I've been to this place where Saul was sleeping. David was on one side of the gorge and Saul and his army was on the other. In this particular night, David knew where Saul was. And so he, he selected one of his most trusted men. His name was Abishai. He was the brother of Joab. And David said to Abishai, come with me. Let us spy this out. David wanted to see if he could figure out what would be Saul's next move. And so as they get close, I mean, from the place where they were, it's very rocky. very It's a very rough terrain. It's a huge gorge. David was on one side. He had to climb down. You picture now stones rolling. They were trying to make as less noise as they possibly could. But I'm telling you, this was not an easy thing. The gorge and En Gedi, where the difference between these two armies were, were probably depth-wise as deep as the ceiling is in our church to the floor. David was on one side of the gorge and Saul and his army was on the other. So David had to climb down almost this depth on a rocky terrain at night. Then he had to climb up on the other side. And when he got to the top, him and Abishai were trying to be as quiet as they possibly could. They noticed that they were all sleeping. Now listen, you have to be pretty close to somebody. Now it's hard for me to tell from the pulpit how many of y'all are sleeping out here when I preach. <laughs> but let me tell you this. If I were to walk out here on the aisle, I'd wake three of you up right now. <laughs> but David, he's, he's now in the position. He's climbed down and up the gorge. And now him and Abishai are standing there. And they're looking at, he's, they're saying, they're all asleep. Every one of them. The guards are asleep. No one's awake. 
David said, there's Saul. Bishai, look there. He has a spear and he has his canteen right beside him. Abishai reaches back and pulls out a knife. They walk up to Saul. Everybody's asleep. They've been down in the middle of the army. And Abishai turns to David and he says, Let's kill him. Let this be done. Let this be over. This is our time. He pulls out that dagger and is about ready to slit his throat. David stopped him. This is what I want you to see in 1 Samuel. I want you to turn. This is where the story is in 1 Samuel chapter 26. At this point, when Abishai, now you have to remember, David's in a storm. He's running for his life. Saul has been chasing him. Day and night, he has had no rest. Why? Because of jealousy. And David is running with every breath in his body, moving out as fast as he takes it in. Now they're at this place of Bishai and David is leaning over the body of Saul. Saul is asleep. Notice what happens in 1 Samuel 26, verse number 9. When, when Abishai said, let's kill him, David said this, destroy him not for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. David said, no. Even though what he's doing is wrong, we cannot put our hands on God's anointed. Now, this is a great spiritual truth here, and I hope that you will, you will let this go in. And it, I believe this spiritual truth that I'm going to teach you this morning will guarantee the blessings of God on your life. And I'm not just talking about average blessings and normal blessings, but let me ask this. Is there any person in this auditorium that does not want to be greatly blessed by God? Greatly blessed. I think all of us would want to be greatly blessed. If you want to be greatly blessed, you have to learn this spiritual truth from David. David did not look at his circumstances of Saul pursuing him day and night. And now he has a moment to end it. All he would have had to do was nod at Abishai. Abishai said, let's kill him. All David would have had to do was wink. And Abishai would have slit his throat. But David stopped him. Now listen to this. David did not allow his circumstances. He did not look at his circumstances. From the perspective of things in which it would only bring him personal satisfaction. David did not look at his circumstances from the perspective of things that could please him. David looked at his circumstance from the perspective at what could please God. And this is a spiritual truth. If you want God's great blessings on your life, 
Do not look at things from the perspective of how can this bring you satisfaction and how if you do this or don't do that, it can satisfy you. Listen, when you get into the storms of life, you sit back, evaluate it, and say, listen, how can God be praised with this? How can God be satisfied? How can God be pleased with it? This is one of our biggest problems, I think, and one of the greatest deterrents, I believe, that we have in our life with the extraordinary blessings of God. We're often too quick to make decisions that contain our own personal preferences and our own self-interest rather than the will of God. And when that happens, when you put yourself and your feelings above God's will and plan, we reverse the scripture. There's a passage of scripture that says in the gospel of John 3.30, he must increase and I must decrease. But when we begin to put our own personal preferences and circumstances ahead of God, and we want to satisfy ourselves than satisfy Him, we want to please ourselves rather than pleasing Him, then we reverse that. It no longer becomes He must increase and I must decrease. It then becomes I must increase and He must decrease. So rather than killing Saul, David said this, I've got another thing in mind. He leans over to Abishai and he says, put that knife away. Get his spear. Get his canteen. So in the middle of the night, now in the middle of the army, they're taking these things from Saul's body. They're right beside him. They climb down the gorge. They go up the gorge and they get back to their camp. Now it's the morning hours, the wee morning hours. David rallies his troops. He said, come on over here, boys. And David walks over to the edge of the gorge and like a morning rooster, he's got those things in his hand, Saul's spear in his canteen. And he says, hey, Saul, wake up. It's time to get up. And David begins to shout. And I'm sure the centuries at first, man, they're saying, oh, wow, we have fallen asleep. Let us get ourselves together. And I can see Saul's guards. They're getting their stuff and trying to figure out what in the world's going on. They're walking over there. Now there's a little congregation standing over the gorge. They're all standing there looking at David and his men. And Saul's waking up, and he doesn't know what's going on. He disorients himself a little bit. And he finally gets there, and he says, move back, move back. What is it? And there David stands. And David is holding his spear and he's holding his canteen. And he says this, Saul, what is wrong with your army? What is wrong with your guards? He is holding up, I've got your spear, I've got your canteen, I've come this close to you. David said, Saul, I could have killed you in the middle of the night. He's holding it up, and then David begins to ask him a question. He's saying, do you not see this, Saul? How did I get this? How did I get this? I was there in your camp. I was kneeling at your body. I could have killed you. And then David hollers out a question to him. And it's found here in 1 Samuel 26. Look at verse 18. And he said, wherefore doth my Lord Thus pursue after thy servant or this servant. 
For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore I pray thee, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If the Lord have stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord. For they have driven me out of this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore let my blood, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the King of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. David is standing there holding the canteen in the spirit. He's saying, Saul, what could I have possibly done to you to make you pursue me like this day and night? What did I do to you? David's tired. He's tired of the, the storm. He's tired of running. He's had enough of it. Saul has now driven him to his breaking point. And even at that point of desperation, David still did the right thing. But he's saying, Saul, I don't know what in the world this is about. I only had you in mind. I wanted to serve you and my God. I killed that giant for you. I don't know what in the world that you are chasing me for. Why are you trying to kill me? And when he said that, and when he asked Saul the question, notice what Saul said in verse 21. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. When you stop and think about the response that Saul had to David, very few people who think they're right ever admit they're wrong when proven. But in Saul's case, he did. David's standing there. I can see the tears, salty tears dripping off of his chin and saying, why are you doing this to me? And Saul looks at what David's holding in his hands and he's thinking now, that old boy could have slit my throat. David asked the question, what have I done to you, Saul? And God used those words to penetrate his heart and bring deep conviction. And Saul said, you're right, David. You're right. I've been a fool. I've sinned. It's over. Come on back to Jerusalem. I give you my word. It's over. Now that's the story behind Psalm 16. It seemed that David's storm had suddenly come to an abrupt stopping place. That's always a wonderful and refreshing time in our life whenever we're going through something like that of great adversity. And then as almost as quick as it comes, it quickly goes. We all refresh in that. In that. When the rain stops and the storm ceases and the sun comes out again, we all enjoy that. Now let me say this about storms, and you might be going through one today, and I've already mentioned this, that storms sometimes come up because of our own doing. I believe that somebody in this auditorium today may be on the verge of creating the most difficult storm you have ever experienced in life because you're about ready to make a terrible decision by only being consumed with your personal interest. That's what Abishai was about to do. He was about ready to make a terrible decision that would have 
terrible, even more greater consequences by killing Saul for his own personal interest. That would not interest God. It would not have pleased God. That's exactly what Jonah did when he ran to Tarshish. He did not want to obey God. And because of that decision, it created for him a huge storm. That's what Lot did when he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He encountered a terrible storm. And the Bible's full of situations like that. But let me say this this morning. Please, please get this. Every person in this auditorium has the power of choice. Are you with me? Every person has the power of choice. In the power of choice, there are great negatives and there are great positives. Somebody in here today may be close to making a bad choice that will change your life forever. You could be one choice away from a different life. A life of sorrow and heartache. That's the negative side of choice. But then choices has a positive aspect. There could be someone here today that realizes that bad choices you have made and you're on the verge now of making some life-changing decisions to get you out of that mess. And to God be the glory for that. Please listen carefully. When you make bad choices, you lose the ability to clearly focus on the holiness and the strong hand of God. Because you'll be consumed with human calculation. You'll be consumed with schemes and hasty maneuvers. And your storm will be more visible than ever before because your eyes have been taken off of the Lord. And when you take your eyes off the Lord, just like Simon Peter did when he was walking on the water, Jesus bid him to come. He was fine as long as he looked, well, as long as he kept his eyes focused on the Lord. But just as soon as he took them off of the Lord, the Bible says he began to sink. He cried out to the Lord to help him, to save him. And listen carefully, we must only expect to experience every <clears throat> unpleasurable consequence imaginable. When we take our eyes off of God and because we make decisions that only satisfy our circumstance or only satisfy our soul just for momentarily purposes, whatever the case may be, I promise you that you will suffer spiritually, physically, emotionally, and financially when you make bad choices. Now, listen, those things will happen. Sometimes you don't only reap the consequence of bad decisions that you have made on your own part, but sometimes these storms come into our life because of other people. And we talked about that in one of our sermons. David cried out. He said, Saul, why are you doing this to me? David's storm was because of Saul. The prophet Elijah suffered great persecution because of Jezebel and Ahab. Storms can come into our life because of our own wrongdoing. They can come into our life because of other people. But listen carefully. If you're busy serving God, you're keeping your eyes on him, you're putting him first, you're doing everything that you know to be right. Listen carefully. Someone comes along and makes your life a living hell on earth. Don't take that circumstance into your own hands and try to 
obtain or achieve victory in your own way. Always remember this, the, as a born again child of God, I mean, let me remind you that when you give your heart to Jesus Christ and you become a born again Christian, I'm telling you, he takes through the Holy Spirit, through this process we call salvation, you are baptized into his body. You have been washed in the blood of the lamb. You have been redeemed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, by the glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your name now written down in the lamb's book of life. You are not a wimp. You don't have to take it. I'm telling you this, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God's not going to forsake you. When you put him first, you keep your eyes on him. Storms in our life can be created by ourselves and by others and sometimes by God. But I want to assure you of this, whatever you're going through, you make good choices. Choices that don't just satisfy you, but things that will satisfy and please God. You might feel that you'll come out on the losing end if you put him first. But I promise you this, God has never, ever been a debtor to any man. No storm is meant to last forever. Jonah was relieved when God gave him a second chance. Peter was relieved when Jesus said, feed my sheep. David was encouraged when God gave him counsel in the night seasons. All of us will have these night seasons, times when we really believe that we will never, ever be the same. The sun will never shine again in our life. But let me remind you of something very important. We read it all the time in the scriptures, all the time. And we think very little of it. But I firmly believe this. When you read it, the next time you read in the Bible, you open the New Testament, you read something out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and you find something like this. And it came to pass. You remember the Christmas story that came to pass in those days? Listen to this. And it came to pass. Storms do come in our life. But they're not meant to be forever. Thank God for that. Listen, you might be in a situation in your life right now where it may not get better in this life. It may not be better until the next life. But let me tell you, whether here or there, it will be better. This is not all there is. Thank God he's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. So let me share with, the, with you this morning this. Storms aren't meant to last forever. When we make choices that ultimately will bring honor and glory to God, you put Him first. You seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all of these other things will come unto you. Amen. All these other things shall come to pass. All these other things God will permit. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.